Station 2, San Jose Avenue. From our 901 Mission Street studios, you are listening to the San Francisco Chronicle. Welcome to Total SF, and welcome to the intro, David Gallagher and Nicole Meldahl of Western Neighborhoods Project. Thanks, Peter. Thank you. I am so happy to have you here. We're going to talk about history. We're going to talk about the Western Neighborhoods. We're going to talk about all kinds of cool things that you're doing. But I have one question I have to ask you first, because I listen to your podcast. Um, I know about your events. I've gone to your site, and I can't imagine, you guys, what you do in the 21st century. So... First question, what's like a 21st century thing that you each just love to do? Like go to the Fast and the Furious movies or you're giving me quizzical looks. <laughs> Is <laughs> there nothing? We're historians. We don't know how to answer the this question. The 21st century. That's now, right? <laughs> yeah. I love baseball. I love softball. I love anything with a round ball and I will play it, watch it. And um, with a 21st century glove, <laughs> yeah, not one of those. Absolutely. Okay, Still now feels... Nicole, you're on the spot. Oh my gosh! I mean, I'm Candy only... Crush on uh, your phone? No. Is there? <laughs> I mean, I Instagram. I'm on my phone all the time. I'm all Instagramming all the time. But no, I mean, it's, is it sad that my 21st century memory is just me huddled over <laughs> a laptop, working constantly, like shoving Cheez-Its in my mouth? That's the first thing that came to mind. I got you a couple boxes of Cheez-Its today. <gasps> Did too. you? Oh, great. It's what fuels us. Well, that was not a very good question, but I have a <laughs> lot of good questions coming up in this episode. We'll talk about the origins of Western Neighborhoods Project. We'll talk about your clubhouse, um, mm-hmm. which is, give me an address... 1617 Balboa between 17th and 18th. Yeah, and we're going to step in our time machine here at the San Francisco Chronicle, and I'm going to ask you to pick a few places in history that you would love to visit. Uh, We're going to have a really good time. Let's get the websites one more time. Outsidelands.org and OpenSFHistory.org. I'm Peter Hartlob, and this is Total SF. Welcome to the San Francisco Chronicle, David Gallagher and Nicole Meldahl. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for having us. Yeah. I am like super happy to have you here, but also really, really intimidated because your Western Neighborhoods Project, you have like the archive of all online archives in terms of San Francisco history oh. from my point of view, plus you have all these kind of historians walking in and out of your place. <laughs> I went to your, I'm calling it a clubhouse. <laughs> Um, so I wanted to ask you, what's your first impression of, of the Chronicle archive? I mean, are, are we, are we meeting the expectations here? My first impression was, wow, what a ton of work needs to happen here. (laughs) Yeah. And I want to get into all these folders right now. I want you to casually go to the bathroom so I can just sneak off with a couple folders just to dig through them. Yeah, but I mean, it's pretty disorganized. We don't have anybody (laughs) cleaning down here. There was one point where you guys came in and I pulled a negative. It was like this pretty valuable, grateful, dead negative out of a sleeve. And I realized I didn't have white gloves and I thought one of you might tackle me. (laughs) I don't know, it sounds like our clubhouse. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Western Neighborhoods Project, um, founded in 1999. David Gallagher, were you there? I was, I was there. 
Um, it, it was a momentous occasion. <laughs> my my co-founder, Woody Labounty, came back from a, a sojourn in North Carolina, and he said, I want to tell the story of my neighborhood, you know? There's nobody doing it. We have tons of history that's been told on the east side, Portsmouth Square and Chinatown and North Beach, the earthquake and fire. But out here in the Richmond District and Sunset District, we have larger populations than a lot of these East Bay cities that have their own historical societies, right? Mm -hmm. But we don't have anybody dedicated to telling these stories of these people, some of whom uh, you know, are, are, were original owners and, and had original memory of, of building those neighborhoods. There were a couple of community history groups that existed prior to us. Uh, Potrero Hill Archives comes to mind as one. Mm -hmm. and, uh, but there was nobody dedicated to doing neighborhood history when we started. And that's pretty much what, what spurred the interest in doing it. So how do you how do you start something like that? Um, 1999. I mean, post dial-up internet, so we're not <laughs> we're not using like an AOL Gold membership or something. But it's not a super easy time to start your own website. Did you guys have resources to begin with? Well, I had I I had built a couple of websites at the time. We had no money. We had no. We weren't a nonprofit at that point. We couldn't solicit money. We we pretty much saw the web as a way to be a virtual organization. And so that's, a, that's when we started OutsideLands.org. 2002, we stretched again when we were contacted by a, by a homeowner who, was, who had a couple of 1906 uh, refugee earthquake cottages mm -hmm. uh, out on Kirkham Street. And Woody said, what, what, what could we do with this? And I said, we should save them. That was me. I said, <laughs> we need to stretch. If we can do this, it will put us on the map for preservation and, and as a community history organization. And with a lot of help from a lot of different people, we were able to restore one of those earthquake shacks and display it on Market Street in time for the 100th uh, commemoration of the earthquake. I don't mm. know if you saw it out there. It's at it the was, zoo now, right? It is at yeah. the zoo. We finally were able to give it to the zoo and they put it in their conservation corner uh -huh. and it's got a permanent home two of the other ones one there was not enough historic material left and two of the other ones got given to a nonprofit in oakland where they've restored them you can see them near jack london square actually mm -hmm. i would say that we grew to the point where we became a legitimate organization we became a nonprofit. we got a, an actual office that used to be out on Terravel at mm -hmm. uh, at funston mm -hmm. and and we committed ourselves, uh, Woody and I and, and a whole bunch of other volunteers and other founders. Uh, mm -hmm. we, we collected a whole lot of uh, local historians who did tons of work and created m tons of content for us. Nicole, how did you find out about, about them? You've been involved about 10 years? A little less than that, but um, I found out about them through another local historian named John Martini, who I worked with at the um, Golden Gate National Recreation Area in the Presidio. And I was looking for a volunteer opportunity, and I knew John had worked with them, and I went, well, if it's good enough for Martini, it's good enough for me. So and I, we seem legitimate. <laughs> yeah. 
Yes. I mean, I sent the worst cold email of my life. It was like, to whom it may concern, I Uh am an archivist and looking for a volunteer opportunity. And Woody said, oh, yeah, come on down to our palatial headquarters on Terraval. And when I got there, I thought I was in the wrong place because it's like a or it was a tiny studio apartment. And I was in the process of looking around to try and figure out where I needed to go. And he opened the door and welcomed me in and um he was like I don't know what you want to do for us but uh sit on down and I started doing some archives work and then tried to kind of poke around to see what the funding was like to see Mm -hmm. I don't know if I can get a job here and this was in 2012 and um I asked oh uh, where do you get your funding from and Woody went oh no our wives support us (laughs) (laughs) wasn't quite accurate but yeah Yeah, but um I I kept with it (laughs) And you're the executive director now. I am. It it fine. It paid off eventually. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you you uh you became the executive director for 2020. Yeah, I've been kind of doing the job part time while I finished out some freelance projects, but uh, this is my first full week sitting in the chair. Nice. Well, congratulations on that. Um, what about the photos? Are are you getting those? I, I know you've gotten some donations, and uh, has the community kind of supported you in that way in terms of? Of getting because these photos would be very valuable if you had to go and buy them. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So most of the pictures on uh, on OpenSF history come from one particular collector, someone who has who re- prefers to remain anonymous. We list him. Oops, he or <laughs> she, oh, oh. he or she, oh. as a private collector. <laughs> and this person has been collecting historic photos of San Francisco for about forty five years, mm-hmm. and. Along with that, as OpenSF history grew, other organizations uh, wanted to be a part of it and, and offered their images to us for, for digitization. And uh, other people have come in over the transom, I like to say, and just <laughs> given us donations. We got, we got 80 glass negatives that originated with the United Railroads, now part of SFMTA collection. And a glass negative is, um, you know, earthquake era 19 1910s 1900s yeah these are from around 1904 yeah the ones that we got and it's just phenomenal so they so as OpenSF history grows we have gotten off pictures from a whole lot of different sources including the National Park Service yeah so one of the real benefits of being a small organization is that we can pivot and do whatever we want more quickly than a large organization, especially a federal organization. So we're working with the National Park Service to get their collections scanned and online where they just don't have the resources to do that. And I should also point out that choosing the name OpenSF History was a really conscious decision because this is an open source archive. We crowdsource our metadata as well. It's a community project. Um, We're just providing the infrastructure for San Francisco to identify San Francisco. Yeah, and I, I notice SFGate uses it a lot, and I always wonder, like, do could people use it too much? Um, <laughs> what's your intention for this? This is just anybody can use it any way they want, and you're okay? Yes. <laughs> I mean, we prefer that you use our watermarked images because yeah. that way it tracks back to us, and we can help you out if you want to find more things. Mm-hmm. Um, we do charge a really, really nominal reproduction fee just to recoup staff costs if you want a super high image not in watermarked somebody image. finds a picture of their house and they want yeah. to print it out and put it on their wall yeah. we can we can provide those but yes we want you to take this and do whatever you want to do with it i think a great one of our 
most uh, one of our favorite examples is Chris Arvin created this like transit map. I love him. It's transit so supply. Great. His yeah. his uh, he's a designer who who creates maps and enamel pins and celebrates the the boat tram and right. i'm sorry i'm gonna have him as a guest sometime yeah but, no uh, you yeah. totally should we he's done programs for us he's yeah. such a wonderful human being and this is this is like this is exactly what we want to happen with our images you have a lot of anniversaries coming up too i'm assuming the golden gate parks 150th is something that's gonna, that's be, gonna, gonna be on your radar us. Yeah, yeah, definitely a big deal. I'm also very interested in the Young Museum's 125th anniversary this year because mm-hmm. their origin collections are super fascinating. And I'm, I'm starting to dig a little bit into that. I'm trying to get an inside source there to help me dig internally. But, I mean, the Chronicle articles on the origin collections and the opening of the <laughs> young museum are phenomenal like are, you, oh i thought you were gonna say are really lacking no <laughs> no they well, like they sent a reporter out because of the de young connection yeah they sent a reporter out that basically walked through all the galleries and was like opining for what he was seeing and making up i think completely wrong histories about oh, yeah, all the yeah. objects on display but they're so vibrant and amazing i mean little people don't know that there was a strong Napoleon collection at the Young Museum when it opened because one of the original collectors or one of the original curators was fascinated by him. Do you think there was any bias in the Chronicle's reporting of the Young Museum? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and it's wonderful. That was uh, the DeYoungs were our founders. Right. Um, very storied history that I'm not sure if I've contractually allowed to talk about even 150 years later no i'm kidding Uh, i think it's actually on a plaque when you walk (laughs) in the chronicle you know somebody got shot somebody died somebody tried to well i just started digging into this history and already i found that one of the curators went to new york and they were like vying with curators from the met to purchase a collection from the tiffany family Uh it's good stuff i'm i'm excited to see where this leads yeah Nice. And I mean, we're going to keep doing our podcast, right? Oh, yeah. Like 375 episodes or something. David, you're on that podcast, right? I, I am. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. right. That is the uh, Western Neighborhoods Project. Is it Western? I, I have it. I listen to it. Is it Western Neighborhoods Project or the Outside Lands Podcast? Oh, I it's... think we call it the Outside Lands San Francisco Podcast. Yeah, okay. You can find it on iTunes and all those other places. Are you constantly getting like surprise finds do, do things still blow you away even you're 20 years in David and almost 10 years in mm-hmm. Nicole um, is there still a big sense of discovery in terms of not just people bringing things to you but you learning new things about the western neighborhoods absolutely absolutely we had a we had a question just yesterday uh, uh, from a guy who lives on Fulton Street uh-huh. and he said, where exactly was the Golden Gate Park Casino? Now, Casino was a building that was in Golden Gate Park near the Conservatory of Flowers and then was moved to Fulton Street. And it was always listed at 24th Avenue in Fulton. Mm-hmm. Not sure why. So I always just said, <laughs> well, it was at 24th and Fulton. And we have pictures of it. But you can't tell. There's nothing else built out there. So this guy says, was it on the east corner or the west corner? And so I, I dug in and looked up some old fire insurance maps and I looked at it and I said it was a 25th Avenue not 24th <laughs> Avenue I mean it was it was on the block between 24th yeah. and 5th but really it was closer to 25th on the 
on the east corner, in case you're still wondering. Uh-huh. Yes. But I, I was totally blown away by that because everything I've ever read, every every notice I've ever seen about it, every picture has always identified it at 24th Avenue. And it was clearly very much closer to 25th Avenue. A small detail, but a surprising one. David, that's like <laughs> every other email I get at the Chronicle is someone telling me that I'm off by a block <laughs> <laughs> with some photo location or something. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. that's what you're great at. You're great at like situating people on the west side and and figuring out how things kind of developed and how the streets changed and all that kind of stuff. That's your jam. My jam is meeting people from the past on the west side. Like, and we keep stumbling across awesome awesome people. And I think that's that's my personal interest in history is is I the mean, people Charlotte Estes springs yeah. to mind myself. But. Charlotte Estes and Sydney Stein who was the first um the first woman to take over the Conservatory of Flowers. She has a little bench still in the conservatory oh. and it's totally overlooked. Um but and um yeah, that's that I don't know. That just for me. And in fact, to commemorate the anniversary of women earning the right to vote, we're going to do a Women of the West Side exhibition mm-hmm. to close out our year. I'm really excited to be able to share some of these badass lady stories. You should meet Heather Knight, who's my total SF like co-creator. Um, she's just absolutely on this war path <laughs> because there's you you might know the numbers, but there's like 178 statues of men yeah. and like two statues of women, and <laughs> yeah. this has been her cause. And uh, and I constantly when I I spent a year dedicated year uh, doing these RSF stories where that was really when I got into the archive. But I'm constantly finding people like that's a statue. That's mm-hmm. a statue. I'll text Heather. That's a statue. So um, I'm not saying we have to have statues of all these women, <laughs> but I think we should just I think it's great that you're talking about them and thinking about them. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's fun. I get to meet people every day in my job. Yeah. Most of them are dead. But, you know, <laughs> some are close to dead. Oh, <laughs> well, we're going to step in the time machine. I'm actually going to flip this around because when I was a speaker at your gala and thank you very much for inviting me, um, I was super scared because I thought I was going into a room with people who knew a lot more than me and were going to give me a hard time for it. And I was only half right because they knew a lot more <laughs> than me, but they were very welcoming. But um, I decided to do a theme that was a little bit more um, personal and less, uh, you know, historian based and just ask myself, what are the places that I would go if I had a time machine right now? Um, Not involving, let's keep the butterfly effect in effect here. So we're not going to change any history. We're not going to right any wrongs. Just some places that you just love to go and see and witness firsthand. And you guys are, are so steeped in the history. I'd love to hear kind of one at a time, maybe maybe what like three of those places would be. David, I'm going to start with you. Number I one. I think I would love to take the street, steam train out California Street and around Land's End on the cliff line and end up at Sutro Baths mm-hmm. and then go into Sutro Baths. What, what year, what year, uh, what, what era? This would be about 1898. Eight or so. Yeah. You know, with, when the steam train, and you can't even imagine it today. If you've ever walked that Land's End Trail, it's tiny and covered with trees. Mm-hmm. And back in back in those days, uh, there was a there was a railroad on that trail, and there were no trees, and you had expansive views of the Golden Gate. It even ran like a 
cars that had no sides, so you could have a full full view out the out the side of the car. How long did this trip take, and was it dangerous? <laughs> what did it cost, and do you have photos of it? That's Pop four quiz. questions. <laughs> Boom. How long did I'm not sure how long it took to get from Presidio Avenue, which was called a uh, Cemetery Avenue at yeah. the time in California, all the way out to Sutra Bass. I do not know what, how yeah. long it took, <laughs> yeah. um, but I do know that Adolf Sutro made sure that you could get from the ferry building all the way to Sutra Bass for a nickel. And, and I think it's safe to say that um, not only was it a nickel, but whatever speed it was, it was probably faster than the 38 Geary. <laughs> Mid, okay. Midday 38 Geary. All right. Geary. All right. And, it was a lot dirtier, too, though. Yes. But, yeah. And you have photos. Photos. Absolutely. We yeah. have photos. We have, we have photos of President Harrison mm-hmm. riding that train wow. when he came out to Sutro Heights for dinner. Uh-huh. Because Sutro Heights used to have a beautiful large house that belonged to Adolf Sutro at the top of it. Yeah, with a lot of lion sculptures and mm-hmm. absolutely fancy things. All up copies there. that Adolf had yeah. made or bought. <laughs> yeah, but some of those are still in the collection of the Golden Gate National Recreation Area, actually. Nice. Mm-hmm. Well, number one for you, Nicole. Oh gosh, this is so hard. Um, you know, I have to say, um, the equestrian stables. There was there were equestrian stables in Golden Gate Park, and there was also one kind of right outside the park um, where the McDonald's used to be, right on the corner of Haydash. Um, oh Stanion. yeah, yeah. So you used to be able to go down there and uh, the pay, scary McDonald's. The scary McDonald's. <laughs> yeah. Yes, absolutely. Um, you used to be able to go down there and just. Uh, rent a horse and ride it all around and it used to be there were clubs there were equestrian clubs all through the city who would um utilize those um stables as well and i grew up riding and i I really miss it and i feel like it's such a wonderful way to see golden gate park in fact i think there there's a group that's starting to lead horseback riding tours through the park again and nice we went a couple years ago and it's so fun is this was this pre-keysar stadium um no it's I mean, yeah, I think, I think it burned down in the '40s. The, the yeah. stable on, um, in the hate, but the hate and Stanion or yeah. hate between Stanion Waller. But the the stables in Golden Gate Park were there until about 2002 or 2003 mm-hmm. when they got and, moved out. And there was another one. There was a riding academy uh, in the Richmond District on Seventh mm-hmm. Avenue, yeah. right, uh, right where the Safeway is now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there used to be a lot of opportunities that just aren't there anymore. What would riding through Golden Gate Park look like in, say, the 1920s? Um, park pretty oh. much the same. I, I know, mm-hmm. you know, in the mid-1800s it was sand dunes, mm-hmm. but uh, by by 1920 did it look a lot like it did now? Yeah. Yeah, there were, there we had cars starting to come through, so um, you know, it was a little bit less, it was a little bit faster paced. Um, but yeah. I think a common route would be to go all the way down Golden Gate Park and then then go down the Great Highway on a on the berm that was in between the upper and lower Great Highways. Mm-hmm. We have a couple of great old films of people riding horses out there. And out on Great Highway, do you know this? There's still a, a, a left turn mm-hmm. button. There's like a, a <laughs> crosswalk button that's like... 12 feet up yeah. on the pole so that a horse rider can push it yeah. to change the light. Yeah. Great Highway, however, looks very, very different than what it did in the 1920s. I'm wondering if in the 1920s, the people who were riding their horses through there, 
and then the cars were coming through. If even back then they were like going to city hall and talking about like car free Saturdays. <laughs> Probably human yeah. nature has not changed. That's the one thing I'm sure you've seen going through all the Chronicle archives too. Yeah, no, it's very similar. Very similar. <laughs> Number two, David, in your time machine. Well, Playland, I think is a, is, is one that a lot of people wish was still there. Okay. I had two, exp- I, I remember Playland. I had two experiences there. One, when I was about three years old, my I grew up in San Bruno and my father got convinced by my older <laughs> brother and sister to take them to Playland one night after dinner. And so the four of us drove up from San Bruno. Mm-hmm. He pulled up right in front, he used to be able to park right in front. The lights are going, it's, it's, it's amazing. It's a wonderland for a little guy like me. They jump out of the car, bolt for the bolt for playland i start to open my door and my dad grabs me he says you're not going anywhere and i'm like what why can't i go and he says you're in your pajamas <laughs> and my dad and i got to sit in the car and look out at playland for that for that one time another time the other time i had it was very near the end it was uh, only the fun house was open my mother and I had taken, and a friend, taken the bus. Somehow we ended up at Playland from San Bruno. It was the end of the day. My mother was exhausted. We got there. We looked in the window at the at the fun house, which is the only thing. Mm-hmm. We're like, oh, can we go in? Can we go in? And my mother <laughs> refused. She said, we cannot go in. She's exhausted. She's like, we cannot miss the bus home. Oh. And so those were my two abortive playland <laughs> memories so yeah well playland i'm trying to I'm, in your mother's defense playland was a total dump by then <laughs> i mean it was like I, I don't think a lot of people were excited about sending their kids there what is the year that you're going to set your time machine for Ooh. and i'm guessing you're going to want to hit before that awesome roller coaster um that uh, yeah the giant dipper yeah was removed which, in like 1952 so i would say yeah. like you know, probably before the war, I think, say 1938 or something mm-hmm. nice. around there where, where Playland was kind of at its peak, I believe. Yeah. So. You could get an It's It there? <gasps> yes. I'm going to call oh. you on the fact that you you are the one person. This is the one area we get in a fight over. Actually, I created the 49-mile scenic drive and left off a couple things, and we... we we didn't fight. I'm at but peace with it. You're at peace with it now, but <laughs> left out the uh, Legion of Honor. and uh, But you eat the chips it. Absolutely. You prefer the it's the it's it puts out like seven flavors, some yeah. of them suspect. <laughs> and then, but they're all, you know, covered in dark chocolate and they've got the oatmeal cookie. You eat the chips it, which is just two chocolate chip cookies sandwiching ice vanilla ice vanilla cream. ice cream so boring it's so great it's so yeah. much better than it's it it's not as messy for one thing and it's just the, the, the chocolate chip cookie is better than the oatmeal cookie and come on pumpkin <laughs> green tea it, it mint. just i know you love mint it i love mint it just feel <laughs> it feels like going to like a really good steakhouse and ordering the chicken nuggets <laughs> as an adult oh, no um, Okay, we won't we won't fight over that. I will try a chips it. I haven't even tried one, so maybe I'm wrong. I'm gonna try a chips it and report back. You'll to never you. go back. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Nicole, number two. Um. Well, this is more of an event, but uh, the 
in the concourse pavilion in Golden Gate Park, they used to hold these giant Sunday concerts. And we're talking like, you know, Gilded Age concerts. So people would get in their carriages, they would drive all around the park, and then they would park it. And the photos we have, it looks like it's some massive party going on. It's just Mm -hmm. like kids everywhere, and people are hanging out, and they've got picnic baskets, and the Golden Gate Park band is playing in the original band shell. I've listened to your podcast, and there was, and maybe even still is, a, a official Golden Gate Park band. Yeah, there totally is. Yeah. yeah. I'm sorry, I interrupted you. No, but. no. It's okay. I mean, I think like I think all historians are drawn to one certain era in history and that for me like the last part of the 19th century like heading into the 20th century is my favorite. So, I just want to I guess I'm just really into horses cuz I just want to get in a horse and like head out to Golden Gate Park for these concerts. Was that before or after and this is again, I I learned so much from your podcast. Before or after the goat rides? Because there were goat <laughs> rides. And it, it was kind of like a Ben-Hur type thing yeah. where they had the goat pulling a chariot. And yeah. I mean, I think it was for kids, it's but I don't know. These, Maybe there wicker, were some... these little wicker chariot yeah. sort of basket things, right? Right by riding uh, children's playground. Yeah. And it would go on a little circular course. Yeah. And they also had donkey rides, too. They, they did. Had, they had elephants. They had, uh, not that you could ride, yeah. but... But, uh, yeah, all kinds of animals peacocks. in Golden Gate Park. Yeah. Well, yeah. I apologize if I took your number three. Was goat rides your number three, <laughs> no, David? No, absolutely not. <laughs> okay, well, this is your third and last one, your last trip you can make on your time machine. Well, since I'm, I'm, I'm going from miserable experience to miserable experience, <laughs> I guess I'd have to say Flyshecker Pool. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Which, for all, by all accounts, was pretty a miserable experience to be out in the... <laughs> Frigid waters at, at Flyshacker. Uh, I mean, Flyshacker pool, a giant, six hundred foot uh, swimming pool outdoor, right near the zoo. It's where the zoo parking lot is today. Yeah, saltwater pool. Um, is it a legend that they had rowboats in the middle for the lifeguards because it was so big you needed a lifeguard in the middle? No, we have pictures mm-hmm. of of lifeguards and rowboats for sure. Yeah, yeah. And at what era are you going to go there? Because it wasn't like Johnny Weissmuller there once, or I think is, again, is there a year you're going to pick? Probably early, probably early on, maybe uh, 1930 or so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, glory when, days uh, when it was new. Mm-hmm. Although we have pictures, it was built in 1925. We have pictures in 1927 where they drained it and had to had to dig out eight feet of sand from the bottom. They hadn't quite <laughs> figured out how to filter the uh, incoming water, I guess. Now, were there like Olympians performing here? I know there was a high dive. I've seen it. Or was this just strictly recreation for people that wanted to go to the absolute coldest point of San Francisco (laughs) and swim in salt water? And maybe the lifeguard and the rowboat will get to you by the time you drown. Maybe not. I think there were always events there. I think main swimming events and things that that brought people out happened at Sutro Baths more often. Uh, Famous people, I think... Uh, Duke Hanamaku was was one of the lifeguards. Okay, famous later surfer and and uh, notable Hawaiian. Yeah, cool. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll we'll get you there. That sounds miserable. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Nicole, number three, your last trip. You're running out of fuel in your time machine. You can go one more place. Oh gosh, one more place in Western neighborhoods history. Um. 
Well, I just found out uh, that Amoeba Records and on Hate used to be a giant bowling alley. Yeah. And I have to say, it was a tie for this one between saying the ice rink on 48th Avenue. Love it. Or this bowling alley, because I feel like there are no, well, there are, I know there are no ice rinks, there are no bowling alleys that are just normal bowling alleys. Not, you know, a drunken, hipster-fueled, like, bowling, mock bowling event. I just want a good old-fashioned... There is the one in the Presidio, which is awesome. But um, I want a good old-fashioned bowl. I want to put on some smelly shoes. I want to, you know, take my my gentleman date there. And I just want to have a good time. Yeah. I know that this all seems kind of pedantic. No, that's but... a good one. That's a good one. And, and 48th Street, too. Did I imagine it or did I skate there in the 80s? You did. Was it still around? 100% It was did. like half of a rink? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's what our current exhibition is on. Um, Darcy Westerland was a student at SFAI in 89, 1990, and the Thurstons who owned it let her go all up in the rafters and like down into the brine room, which has a very uh, sad history in itself. But um, they're really cool photos, and I'm so sad that rink isn't there. Yeah, yeah, it was lovely. Um, not lovely. I should, I should <laughs> no, be honest. It, it was not lovely, but it was lovely that it was there. So you know what's crazy as we've done research on it is when it first started, it was a bunch of country club types that tried to... The reason why it was kind of a, a blank exterior, it looked like there was nothing in there, is because it was supposed to be a private club. And they had like a they had a clubhouse there where you could get fancy dinners. Mm-hmm. And it's so hard to imagine. I've seen no photos of that era, but looking at the photos I have seen, which is this like decrepit, sort of like beautifully creepy mm-hmm. place to go make out with your teen heartthrob. It's so hard for me to imagine some gentleman dining on. Yeah, I don't. There. But I got there late. Um, quick question about your um, Hate Street Amoeba <laughs> Bowl. Mm-hmm. Um, are you putting the bumpers up and uh, what what is your what do you think you're gonna bowl what's what's your what's your high at oh. the oh bumpers are totally up um, my style is you know holding uh, it with two hands and just like swinging yeah. it back between my legs and tossing it and hoping for the best yeah. so terrible terrible scores. that's all right that's fun too yeah yeah cool well I think we've uh, I think we've made good use of our time machine. <laughs> Uh, I think we've also made good use of our time. Um, thank you very much for coming to the Chronicle. I hope you'll come again. Uh, one more time, people want to find out what you're doing. They want to check out the photos. They want to go to your next walk or your next event, learn about the history of Golden Gate Park on the 150th, learn about the history of the De Young Museum on mm-hmm. the 125th. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, where can they go? Outsidelands.org is our main website, and OpenSFHistory.org is our sister site, and you can find all of our event listings and all of our current projects there. Awesome. OpenSF History, people can find a lot of different things there, right? Absolutely. You can find pictures of uh, the 1906 earthquake, every major event, uh, pictures of, of houses, of people, of news of crowds, of angry people, happy people, you know, aerial photos, and some remarkable panoramas that are linked right for the front page. And one really, really uncomfortable swimming pool. Yes. (laughs) David Gallagher and Nicole Mildahl, thank you very much for coming to The Chronicle. Thank you. Thanks for having us, Peter.
You are listening to the San Francisco Chronicle. Thank you to my guests, Nicole Meldahl and David Gallagher. Our producer today is me, Peter Hartlob. Supervising producers are King Kaufman and Tim O'Rourke, and our editor-in-chief is Audrey Cooper. Our music is The Tide Will Rise by the Sunset Shipwrecks off their album Community, and Cable Car Bell Ringing is by eight-time champion Byron Cobb. Read all our Total SF coverage and subscribe to The Chronicle at www.sfchronicle.com slash totalsf. Thank you.